reading is from St. Paul's letter to the Romans. Let us be attentive. Brethren, you know what hour it is, how it is full time now for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. Let us then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us conduct ourselves becomingly as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. As for the man who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not for disputes over opinions. One believes he may eat anything, while the weak man eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who abstains, and let not him who abstains pass judgment on him who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For God is able to make him stand. Peace be to you, the reader. Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be all. 
Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. I wanted to read to you a hymn that we chanted here at the end of Orthros this morning. And it talks about one of the themes of this day. And as you listen to this hymn, I want you to think and have a picture in your head of paradise and then how the Lord described life outside of paradise that there would be enmity between man and nature between creation and man that even bringing life into the world would be painful that Man would have to labor by the sweat of his brow and the earth would only yield thorn and thistles. And when you think of paradise, I want you to think that God provided for man every single thing that he needed. He was immortal. He was suspended from his mortality. He knew the created essence of everything that God had made and he was called to and able to enter into the proper relationship with all that he made in a way that would bring him into communion and union and God-likeness. Not in a static way, but in an ever-transfiguring, glorifying, dynamic way from glory to glory to glory. So listen to this hymn. And imagine Adam and Eve exiled from paradise, sitting outside of it, looking back at what they have lost, and looking forward to a life in the condition of the fall. Adam was evicted from paradise as one disobedient, after partaking of all its luxury. Moses saw God after cleansing the eyes of his soul by fasting. Hence, if we desire to become residents of paradise once again, let us divorce ourselves from evil delights and desiring to see God as Moses did, let us fast the four times ten. By sincerely persevering in prayer and supplication, let us suppress the passions of our souls. Let us avert the swellings of the flesh. Thus lightened, let us set off on the journey to things above, where the choirs of angels in unbroken song sing praises to the undivided Trinity. To see the irresistible beauty of the Master. O Son of God and Giver of life, we who set our hope on you, pray. Make us worthy of dancing with the armies of angels, O Christ, at the intercession of your Holy Mother, of the Apostles, of all the martyrs, and of all the saints. So you can see that although 
the church reminds us this day that we sit with Adam exiled from paradise in the condition of a fallen world and we with him look back on what God had always intended for us and still intends for us. And with Adam and Eve, God invites us to on a journey. For Lent is a journey. It is a journey back to paradise through the cross and the resurrection. But like Moses, if we want to see God, we have to do our part. We have to intensify our love for God. We have to take the tools of the journey that God is offering us and implement them as fully as possible. And all week long, this story in my own life kept coming back to me. And some of you have heard it. Some of you may have not. But every now and then, because he puts it on me, I'll say it, and maybe it can be a benefit to you as well. Because, you know, the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, compares the Christian life to that of an athletic contest or that of service in the military. And I had a little taste of athletics as I was growing up, and we used to look at a season like a journey. And in my senior year of high school, my football team and I, we went on a journey through our senior year season. And I remember so vividly in the training at the end of the summer, before the season even started, before we began practicing and putting on pads, we were all ready for this season and we're working out and we're running baseline to baseline in the gym over and over and over again. And there were coaches at both baselines making sure that we touched the lines and there was a timer making sure that every single player ran a minimum of baseline to baseline in 10 seconds. And I remember one time the coach, who was the offensive coordinator of the varsity, stopping everybody and saying, we have players that are not touching the line by two inches. And he gave us this long lecture that life is about details. And we are missing the details. And so he made us start over. And we hated that. And we felt like it was unfair. And it's interesting that we had the talent on the team. As a matter of fact, we were in the state of Colorado, the preseason number one ranked team. We had the good coaches. We had the schemes, the offense and the defensive schemes. We thought we were working hard. But that season, we lost three regular season games, really unheard of for our high school. And we barely made the playoffs. We made it because other teams did us favors, either by winning or losing. We didn't even have control over that ourselves. So we limped into the playoffs. And we went all the way to the state championship. And we lost by two inches. The same two inches that we were failing to pay attention to at the end of the summer. Something was missing amongst all of the tools that were necessary to start and complete that journey for us. 
I still look back and try to analyze it this day to learn from it, and I'm not really sure what it was, but I can say maybe it was commitment. Maybe we didn't want it as much as the team that we played against. Maybe we thought that we were entitled and that it should be handed to us without giving 150%. Maybe it's as simple as that. But I was reminded of that because I was thinking of this journey, this season that we're about to embark on. And I was thinking of all these pre-Lenten Sundays and the tools that the church has presented to us. Gratitude through the ten lepers. Perseverance and persistence in prayer through the Canaanite woman. The desire of Zacchaeus to go ahead of the crowd, climb up the tree and see the face of Jesus. Of the humility of the tax collector. Of the repentance and the remembrance of the relationship with God of the younger lost son. Of the remembrance of our death and the reality that all of us will face judgment. This is the talent. This is the coaching. This is the box of tools that the church has given us. But it has given us two more that are presented to us this day. And I would submit that these two are the two inches that are going to make the difference in every one of our lives and our season of great Lent and our return to paradise. The first of these tools, the one inch, is that of forgiveness. This is why we also call this Sunday the Sunday of Forgiveness. And we read from the Sermon on the Mount where the Lord says that if we do not forgive one another, then our Lord will not forgive us. Now that's a sobering statement. If I hold something against you, or you hold something against me, if I think that is so important that I hold on to it, that I continue to harbor and dwell on negative thoughts, that I hold on to the fact that I have been offended and I don't want to let it go, then that cuts me not only off from you, but it cuts me off from God and from myself, my own true nature. No wonder that people who are harboring grudges are filled with anxiety, not peace. Why there's always something wrong, why it begins to corrode a person from the inside out, let alone what happens in the social, horizontal relationships of that person's life. Now we have the chance today to do the rite of forgiveness after the forgiveness vespers. The other 50% of what this is talking about is that we have the chance to reconcile ourselves with one another in this community. You are my teammates, to keep the same analogy. Do you know that in the army, if you have ever talked to any soldier in any branch of the service who has ever served in a combat situation. Do you know what keeps them alive? What keeps them alive 
is their love and their commitment not to country, not for the cause, not for their commanding officer, not their fear of dying, but their love and their camaraderie and their trust and their respect in the person in front of them, behind them, and on either side of them. Their brothers and sisters at arms. That's what keeps them alive. That's what they attribute to the fact that they were able to come back home to their family. We are our brothers and sisters at arms. And so the chance to reconcile ourselves with one another gives us the opportunity to recognize that we need each other. That my success during this season of Great Lent, my journey of repentance back to paradise, is totally dependent also on you. Not just me. I don't go it alone. I go it side by side with you all. And we forget that. Now, the other inch, the other tool, is also talked about at the end of this Gospel. And the church really doesn't call it out. But I'm going to call it out for you. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Oftentimes we think that this applies solely to material wealth. But I think that the church includes this part of the Sermon on the Mount on this day, on the brink and threshold of Great Lent, because it wants us to apply it to our values, to our commitment level, to placing the church and Jesus Christ and paradise and one another at the center of our life. Because I promise you that not only during this week of Clean Week, which is intense, but all of the six weeks of Lent and Holy Week, leading right up to the Feast of Feasts, Pascha, it actually requires you, in order to win the season and be successful in this campaign, to value what the church is inviting you to participate more than the allure and the busyness and the normalcy of the world around us. You literally as families have to make a conscious decision that I am not going to participate in all of these good things so that I can participate in this, the pearl of great price. So that I can have that commitment that takes me over the top and does not leave me two inches short of the goal line. Do you know that those two inches were the effort to make a two-point conversion so that there wouldn't be co-champs in the state of Colorado that year? It wasn't an extra point. It wasn't a field goal. It was a two-point conversion. You know, that's such a paradigm for life. In order for us just to get over the top and be the kind of people that the Lord wants us to be, we have to give everything. And if we don't give it during Lent, then when will we give it? This beautiful season of grace.
So my dear brothers and sisters, realize that whether you have a known offense against someone in this community or not, that every sin, great or small, that you commit is against God and is against every single human being alive. It has a ripple effect from you to the far reaches of the cosmos. It even affects the kingdom of heaven. Because they grieve when someone sins and they rejoice over one's repentance. And so, in a very real, concrete, and tangible way, when you look at the eyes of your brother or sister, and you prostrate yourself, or you do a bow, and you ask for forgiveness, know in your heart that your sins, that where you have fallen short of what God wants you to be, and what He wants you to do, has affected that brother or sister in a direct or an indirect way, but it has serious consequences and the reconciliation of us to one another also has very serious consequences. We need each other to be successful in these next six weeks of this beautiful season of Great Lent and Holy Week and Pascha. And there is no better way to start that season than by being reconciled to God and reconciled with one another and seeing ourselves as teammates and fellow soldiers in the front lines of this spiritual warfare. Amen.